in uh, Shakespeare's play, Henry V. The play actually is centered around the Battle of Angincourt. Uh, the English armies are about to rage war with the French armies, and uh, Henry is, is at his wit's end. I mean, you might as well call the battle because the French have a superior army, uh, his, his knights have, have traveled quite a distance. They're a far distance from home. They're not motivated. They are exhausted. And so he's getting a bit nervous. So the night before St. Crispin's Day, the day of the battle, he, he goes out in disguise through his, his uh, knights, and he's amazed at their courage and at the uh, commitment level that, that, that is there for the king and for the, the nation. And so the next morning, the day of the battle, St. Crispin's Day, he says this. He says a lot, lot of stuff, but this is just a few of the lines, more famous lines. It says, this day is called the Feast of Crispian. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand a tiptoe when this day is named. We few happy men, we band of brothers, for he today who sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here. You get what he's saying. He's reminding his, his knights of the, the incredible significance that this battle is that they're about to be engaged in. He's reminding his knights of the honor that will be due them for, for participating. He's also reminding them of the folk back home. The folk who are still in bed who've decided that they weren't going to uh, participate in this battle. And he's saying that one day those folk will look back and they will consider themselves accursed for not having participated. Now, Henry's troops fought for uh, the country of England. Uh, sure, a wonderful country. It's certainly uh, helpful for the Western civilization and uh, the early Christianity and the great missionary movement. But whether it's England or Canada or the United States of America, there is no nation under heaven that has not been influenced by sin, right? That at best is going to fail you and disappoint because wickedness is in the heart of all the people. It's the best we can do. But still, it's limited. It's, it doesn't hold a candle to the shadow, uh, to the, the, the perfection, the kingdom of Christ. Now, this is what scripture says. When we come to know Jesus, when we decide to, to be a follower of him, we hear, we've heard him call our, our name, we, we've, we've come to the cross, we recognize that Christ died for us, we've surrendered our life to him. At that point, according to scripture, our citizenship changes. Our citizenship is in heaven. And it's kind of like you maybe got dual citizenship, I suppose. You've got some down here, but primary citizenship is in heaven. And so the nation that we are supposed to be concerned with as far as their honor and their mission and what they're about, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And and that is supposed to be the primary mission of his followers. Now, this is is, uh, one of my greatest fears, if not my greatest fear, that one day I'll get to the end. And I will look back and I will see the missed opportunities and I will consider myself accursed. I'll say, I can't believe the opportunity that God gave me, right? He was under my, and I didn't even see it. I missed it. I just missed it. And I just wonder how many saints know Christ, but, but they're, they're uh, a home in, in bed. They're, they're, uh, not taking advantage of the opportunities that he has given 
they're not off serving his kingdom in the way he's called them to do so. And then one day what will happen is they'll look back and they'll consider themselves accursed. This is Serve Sunday. And often what happens on a message on service, we just think, well, it's just for those people who aren't serving. Oh, no, no, this is for everybody. So if you have your Bibles, will you turn with me to Mark chapter 6? Mark chapter 6. And our goal with this thing is to look at, at his word and have our mind realigned to what he says about this topic. Mark chapter 6. Beginning in verse 30, it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. The apostles are just coming off a major mission trip here. Uh, Mark chapter 6, 30. So they're kind of wore out. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. They just needed to get away. One thing to notice about these guys, real important, is these guys are not Christian Ed Slackard type people. These guys are not folk who are blowing off the mission. They are serving, aren't they? I mean, they are serving intensely. They are over-serving. They are hyper-serving. So much so, they are worn out, they are exhausted. I don't know if you've ever had any ministry of service that way. And they just need to get away. That's what they, 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 Jesus recognizes that. Time to get away, guys. Let's go unplug. So they get in a boat, and they try to take off. But, verse 33, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. The people saw him take off in the boat like Galilee, Sea of Galilee. They knew where he was going. And so they ran around the lake. They got there before he did. So he's trying to go into a desolate place, right? He lands and there's this massive group there. Now, for me, I'm getting back in the boat. Let's just get in the center and, and drop anchor or something for a while. Uh, but Jesus, this is, this was, this was huge. How he saw the people determined what he did. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. Now, sheep are pretty stupid animals, right? They're pretty stupid animals. If you take the shepherd away from sheep, they're incredibly vulnerable. It's like a wolf's smorgasbord if there's no shepherd around. If there's no shepherd around, it is a bad day for the sheep. There's not a whole lot of good that's going to happen. They need a shepherd. Now, I'm not so sure the people saw themselves that way. They might be offended if they saw themselves that way. Uh, also, if you think about this crowd, uh, parallel passages are going to let us know that there are 5,000 men in this crowd. So give them all a woman, right? And then give them a couple of kids. I don't know. You're dealing with a pretty big crowd here. 20,000, I think, conservatively, we could say. My guess is, just you can have a different opinion. Tell me what you're thinking. In this group of 20,000 people, might there be some people in there who are a bit prideful? Some cocky folk, maybe. Some people who are ungrateful. Some people who are legalistic. Some people who are pharisaical. Might there be some folk in there who who are are doubters? Some people whose faith... Might there be a a group of people in this group of people who are just the kind of folk you love to not love? And, And Jesus, this is so cool, he serves these folk, but the reason why he does is not because of who they, what they've done, not because of their attitude, not because of their action, not because of that, but because of who they are. And he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. This is for us. If we don't see the people as Christ saw them, you know what? We're not going to have a whole lot of impetus to serve. I will serve the people who when I teach, they're paying attention and they're taking notes and they're saying amen once in a while. So just so you all know, nod once in a while. See, that's helpful. But when you're sleeping or you start throwing stuff at me, well, you know what? I don't have time for that. 
I remember teaching one, one, one junior high boys class one time, and it was, it was really stereotypical. The airplanes were going, and I was staying up trying to take control, and, and it was when one guy came up to me, uh, Tyler came up to me, and they were supposed to work on this paper, and he came up to me with, with the paper, and he stood about three feet from me, because they were all handing in their paper. He started handing it in and said, just dropped it in front of me. Turn around. <laughs> I was going to do, do some church discipline serving there, man. I was, I was ready to take him out. Um, but we want to serve people who respect us and who like us and who say, good job. Don't we do that? But people who don't, you know what? We want to quit that class. I'm not going back there. Those are But if we see people the way Jesus saw them, as sheep without a shepherd, all right, then, then we have the compassion that burns. We have his compassion. I'm not going there. because it's, it's, it's easy to serve in a dysfunctional way, isn't it? You keep giving me accolades. You know, I'm such a servant. Bring it. Yeah, I'm such a servant. Do this for me. It's easy to serve for me when I'm getting strokes from it. And as soon as someone says something odd, I'm out of here, man. Show us why we serve sometimes. But we've got to see folk through Jesus' eyes. It says that when it grew late, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus, he was just teaching with them for a while. He was sharing with them. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and they said, this is a desolate place. This was the goal, right? To get away from the people. It's a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages so they can buy themselves something to eat. The disciples said, there's a problem here, Jesus, but it's not ours. We got an issue here, and I sure hope somebody takes care of this, but we're not going to take care of it. And so what they do is they decide to let Jesus know how he should do his job, which is always a bad idea. And so they say, this is what you need to do, Jesus. Just listen. This way. Send the people away. And they go, we're going to have a major humanitarian crisis here in a little bit. If you don't get in work, just send these people away. That's how we need to, to solve it. You should never tell Jesus how to, to, to do his job because he turns around and he kind of wrecks their day, doesn't he? And he answered and said to them, no, 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 you give them something to eat and they said to him shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat and he said to them well how many loaves do you have go and see and when they found out they said five two fish think of olive garden breadstick type loaves that's what they're that's the size of those loaves Uh, now these disciples start immediately right you obviously don't understand, Jesus, the size of this crowd. Judas, bring your calculator. Talk to Jesus. Help him to understand what's going on here. We need seven months. If we had seven months worth of wages, which we don't, we would have brink trucks following us, but we don't. But if we, if we did, that's what it would take to buy food to feed these people. We don't have it. Look at the size of the job, Jesus, for crying out loud. It is too big, and our ability is too small, so let's just forget it. Now, isn't it just like Jesus to give us stuff that's too big? Save the world. Save the world? Are you serious? I hope somebody does that, man, because I can't do it. I don't know who's going to. I'm not going to be able to pull that one off. Maybe God just needs to sap it. Because it's not going to happen here. How about transform Erie? Oh, man, it's probably better. But, yeah, Erie's pretty big. And I, you know, I'm just, if I can get out of this just with my head on straight, I'm going to call that success. And so, you know what? I don't know. Save transform Erie. That's not going to happen either. You know, I, my, I, my name is Abraham. I'm too old. I'm too old. Father of the nation? Are you serious? I'm too old. My name is Jacob. I'm too insecure. My name is Leah. I'm just too plain. I'm too not cool. I could never disciple those high school girls. You know, my, my name is Joseph. 
I'm from a dysfunctional family and I've been abused. Listen, I got stuff I got to figure out before I get into service. My name is Moses and I stutter, I stutter, and no one's going to listen to me. Or my name is Rahab. You want me discipling your junior high students? Do you have any clue how colorful my past is? My name is Samson, and no one's going to like my long hair. Plus, I have fits of anger every once in a while. I think I'm disqualified. My name is David, and I, I had adultery, and I, I killed the guy. And all of my kids, are, are they're a train wreck. I've messed up my family. I've pretty much disqualified myself. My name is, is Jonah. I don't always see things the way God sees them. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm an emotional basket case. Fall out all over the place. I'm always sweeping. My, my name is Elijah, and I've been suicidal. Do you really want me counseling people? I don't think you, you do. My name is John the Baptist, and I've got this goofy diet that I got. I can't work anywhere. I'm just certain of that. Or my name is Martha, and I've got these anxiety issues, that I'm, and that's not a good model. Or my name is Thomas, and I just doubt that God could ever use me. My name is Zacchaeus, and I, I'm not just a wee little man. No one likes me. I'm not popular, and I'm Paul, and I'm sick, and I'm, I'm Timothy, and I'm, I'm timid, and I'm an introvert, and I just don't want to do it. And Jesus says, I didn't ask you what you don't have. I know what you don't have. I didn't give it to you. I know what you don't have. What do you have? And we stop and we say, well, this is our normal response. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to process this. You really want me to say, let me, see, let me think about it for a while. I'm going to pray about it for some time and I'm going to consult with some people and spend some time before God with it. And if he really wants me to do this and if he gives me peace and if he opens the doors and if he gives me a prompting and if hell freezes over and if I've got a bush that's burning and if I see special signs going on and if it's written into my contract that I can get out of this without anyone complaining, then I might think about doing this. Is this how we, this is how we treat service sometimes? Not may, maybe, maybe. But we go right away into the things we don't have. You know what? I don't have time. I, I don't have a seminary education. I, I, I don't know how to do this. I don't have a personality that this needs. I, I don't have the, the wherewithal. I don't have the calling. I don't have the faith for that one. We know Jesus is saying, I know, I know, I know what you don't have. I know what but what do you have? See, we're not going to solve this issue with what you don't have. If you needed more, I could have gave you more. I know what you don't have. What do you have? Now, Jesus, of course, knows what they have. But he wants them to do an evaluation on their heart, what they have. Is it uh, Miles McPherson writes in his book, he's a pastor, and he said, I walked out of my office one morning, and a guy I had never met was just getting off the elevator. He was about six foot four, at least 250 pounds. He wore cut-off jeans and a sweatshirt. His body was all tatted up, tattoos everywhere. He, we, we talked and walked down the hall together. He told me he was going to his first ministry meeting, and he was really nervous. I asked, nervous? How come you're nervous? Pastor Niles, you always encourage us to do something, so I figured I got to do something. I want to serve the Lord. Well, since our church has over 100 outreach ministries, I asked him, what's the ministry you're joining? The knitting ministry, he said. And then he added, well, actually, I don't knit. I crochet. Here's this huge guy who looks like he could be an NFL tackle, and he's nervous about joining a ministry that makes blankets and hats for hospitalized children. Curious, I asked him where he learned how to crochet. I was in the Hells Angels for 12 years, he told me, and I learned to crochet in prison. I know it's the one thing I can do for the Lord. Just then, the lady who heads up the knitting ministry walked toward us, and with a quick hi to me, she then asked the former Hells Angel, Are you Jim? 
She gave him a big grin and took his hand. I watched them go down the hall together. It may not seem like a unique ability to crochet, but when you package that with his life, the ripple effect can push countless others out of their comfort zone to step up and stand out the way God designed them to. Imagine if Jim was worrying about what others would think about him crocheting for Jesus. Don't you love this guy? I love this guy. Because he probably could tell us what I can't do. Don't you think? You know, you know, if you were to do an FBI check on me like you do for everybody who serves in the nursery, I don't think I could probably serve in the nursery. And I think some parents would probably be upset if I decided to volunteer to chaperone the all-night youth thing. I don't think that's going to work. It, probably this guy had all kinds of things he couldn't do. But he stopped. And he took inventory. What was something he could do? Okay, Here's where I can serve. I got my, my five loaves and two fish. Here you go, Lord. And he served. He served. He knows what we can't do. He knows our excuses. He knows I don't have the time. I don't have the person. He knows what we can't. But what do you do? What can you do? What do you have? Let's, let's finish this in, in John 6 because this miracle is found in all, all four Gospels. So we're going to flip over to John 6. If you're following in your Bible, John chapter 6. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. They've got the five loaves. They told him I got the five loaves and the two fish. Okay, Jesus, this is what I got. In verse 10, Jesus says, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Isn't that wild? You've got 20,000 plus people here. According to the disciples, they're getting hungry. It's been all day with nothing to eat. They've got five loaves, two fish, and everybody eats as much as they wanted. Now, there's been all kinds of explanations trying to explain this miracle away. Some have said that, you know, Jesus actually had a stash of food hidden. You know, he would need, I mean, semi-trucks full of food. Where do you hide that in the middle of a desolate place? I don't know. How do you get there? I don't, uh, that makes no sense, right? Some have said, well, uh, everybody see, brought their lunch, but they were afraid to bring it out because they were afraid they were going to have to share. But when they saw this little boy bringing out his lunch, they thought, oh, well, I guess I can bring mine out too. And so everyone was able to eat. That's a fun story. It's not in here anywhere. And we need to know that, that there's a couple of reasons why this story seems very, very credible besides the, the, the fact that this is straight up what Scripture says. It's in all four Gospels, which means it's a very attributed, a very uh, credentialed miracle. Also, the, the specifics in here. I mean, uh, this, is, this talks of eyewitness. Also, if I'm writing a story that I want people to buy, to believe, I'm not going to put a thing in there where it makes me look like an ignoramus. You know, we, uh, these guys, they have no faith. I wouldn't put that part in there, but they all contain that. Plus, there are five to 20,000 plus eyewitnesses. This would be a hard thing to fake. Since this was written in the life of many of those guys who were still around, they would have been able to say, no, that's not at all what, what happened. No, this was an authentic miracle. And this shouldn't, well, I mean, I don't, I don't understand when people try to explain it away. If Jesus created the world with the word, according to Colossians 1.16, Genesis 1, if in fact Jesus came to this earth through the womb of a virgin girl, if he opened the eyes of blind people, if he healed lame people, if he rose from the dead, if he conquered hell, why is this a hard miracle? This is not a hard miracle. Oh, well, this is like normal stuff for Jesus. This is just a yawn thing for him. Oh, well, it's just another day. Uh, It goes on. This is just truly uh, transpired. Uh, So so they gathered up from them 
and filled 12 baskets and uh, fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You know, these, these disciples started their day thinking we don't have, uh, we're done with the day. Uh, we, at the end of this teaching of Jesus, Jesus gives them the assignment. They, they, they talk about what they don't have. They say, okay, let's evaluate what we do have. They, have the, they give it to Jesus. And then what he does is he gives each of them a bushel basket full of food as a souvenir. He says, just let you guys know. Remind you, we started this thing off. You had five little loaves of bread and two big sardines. Each of you can take home a bushel basket full of food because you can't. Here's a great principle. It's a great, great, great principle at service. You can't, 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 can never, ever outserve God. You just can't do it. You can't do it. We think sometimes we're going to help him out. Well, I'm just going to help God out. You're not helping God out. Uh, you can't. But he's give, now, I'm not preaching health, wealth, and prosperity here. I'm not saying that he's just going to give you all kinds of material stuff. I, he may give you material stuff, but th- there's no promise in Scripture. But he gives us all kinds of other things when we serve. We think we're going to give to God, but in our giving, this is how God gives to us. It's, it's an incredible principle. In, in Philippians chapter 1, and he gives to us in lots of ways, but in Philippians 1, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. It's that word partnership. Most other places in scripture that's translated fellowship. That's the word koinonia. These people that Paul's talking about, he's talking about this wealthy business gal that he met when he was in Philippi, letter to the Lord named Lydia. He's talking about the slave girl that he, he exercised and she became part of this church planting team. He's talking about this uh, Philippian jailer and his family. And these guys served together in planting the church. Paul would elsewhere, elsewhere say, I've got you in my heart. I think back to uh, those early days when I was youth pastoring and uh, I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing and uh, so I encountered, I enlisted a bunch of other people who didn't either. And I had Dan and Sue Reimer, and I had Mark and Chris Starkey, and I had Al and Debbie Selker. And I would remember we would go away for like a, a weekend, and we would plan out our, our year. And then we would get together on a, on a monthly basis and kind of debrief and plan and brainstorm. And I remember telling them that time that uh, one of the gals, one of our key leaders, got uh, uh, was ex- expecting out, out of wedlock and just... The, the team crashed and cried. And we just were through so much together that the bonds between us are so, so strong. Today, they're so, so strong. If you, if you want to connect in the church, you want to develop relationships, join a service team. Now listen, you can't do it in order to, to build the relationships. If that's your goal, odds are high it's going to go backwards on you. But as you go do it to build the kingdom of God and you work alongside someone and you're doing that for quite some time, you can know the relationship goes very, very deep because it's beyond your puny world. It's beyond the life of triviality. It it goes to something that matters and counts and there is a bond. There is a relationship that's going to go on for eternity. He gives in incredible ways. If you want to have that kind of relationship, it's only going to be found in the context of of serving. He, He also, through serving, this is amazing to me because... This is the tool that he uses to disciple us. Uh, Philemon 6. It says says Philemon 6 because there's only one chapter in Philemon. He says, I pray that your partnership, there's that word again, koinonia, fellowship, with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Look at that verse for a second. 
Try to figure out exactly what he's saying there. Do you see that? He's saying that as you serve, it's through that service that you come to understand deeper who Christ is, your identity in him, what he has for you, his word. Listen, this is so important because if you think, I want to be discipled by Christ, but you're not getting into the service thing or you think, oh, it's just because they they need someone to fill a hole. Um, You're going to put a a lid on your discipleship because it's not the way it works. This is a tool. Think about this. This is so interesting. God, Jesus could have here worked this miracle any way he wanted to, right? He could have snapped his fingers and suddenly these guys have all kinds of bread and and drink at home and more overflowing. He's done that kind of thing before. He could have said, let's pray. And then when everyone's eyes lift up, there's manna everywhere. He's done that kind of thing before. That's not a problem. But he chooses to work through his people. This is the normal way God responds. God works. God works his miracles because Jesus knows that his people, his disciples, they need to learn something. They need to understand something about him that they can only understand in the context of serving. Also in, 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 in serving, it's where our hearts connect with really our purpose. This is why we were created. In Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. Why? Why did he save you? For we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is not simply being nice to somebody in school and being kind to the guy who, in your office. That's probably included, but it's not that. It's changing your allegiance from just fighting for, for England or just staying at home and, and being, hanging out in my, my comfy life fighting for myself, to, to changing my allegiance to that of Christ's kingdom. That's why we were created. As we serve, we're fulfilling that. For, I mean, we're unleashing the Holy Spirit. All kinds of stuff happens at that point. There's a huge, huge benefit. You can never outserve God. Try it. You just can't do it. That's why he says, test me in this, talking about giving. And see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven. Just see. Test, see if you can outgive me. God challenges wild stuff. Um, still, in, um, we're going to get to verse 14, but let me do this first. Let me ask you this question. question Jesus asked. What do you have? We're not talking about what don't you have. What do you have? And we're going to work through an acronym real quick. And I want you to ask yourself, to personal evaluation, what do I have? H. What's your heart for ministry? The H stands for your heart. It's for your passion. What is your passion? I mean, you have, you're really concerned for a spe- special age group. Maybe you're really concerned you've got a burning gut issue for, for the homeless or for their special needs people. Or maybe you, you have a, a passion for um, evangelism. You've got to see the neighborhood across the street um, evangelized. You've got a passion for the teaching of God's word. That's who you are. That's, that's what burns in your heart. You've got to be a part of that. Right now, if Jesus said, what do you have? What would you write down? What's your passion? What would you write down? E is experience. And you need to know with experience, there are no experiences wasted in the economy of God. There are none, none wasted. I know there's some bad, horrible things that probably all of us wish were just out of our past. But there are no experiences wasted in the economy of God. There just is not. And you may have come through a terrible uh, just a terrible divorce, but through that you might say, you know what, though, 
because of that, had never wished that anybody, I don't want to ever have to do that thing again, but I'm telling you, I probably have some things to be said to folk who are going through it because I know the pain. You might want to think about serving in the divorce care ministry. Same thing with grief care ministry. Or maybe you had your children have to deal with that. And so you want to, you want to help out in the divorce care for kids ministry. Or maybe growing up, you know what, you were in a church that had a happening youth ministry. And you went to a, a college that had a big church happen. You were interned there for a while. And you've got this great experience. What is your experience? Those things are not accidental. God has ordained those in your life for such a time as this. So what is your experience? If Jesus was to say to you right now, what do you have? Your experience. What, is, what has it been? What has it been? Missions, what, is, what has it been? The A, we're going to call the A um, anointing. By the way, I did not make this up. I stole it from Brian Wilkerson. Um, anointing, though, that's your spiritual gifting. Scripture says that when you come to know Christ, at that point in your life, you might not be aware of it, you might not know exactly what it is, that's okay, but he gives you a special ability, he gives you a special gifting. Maybe it's a collage or it's a mix. I was told it's, it's like an a artist's palette. And for each individual, he might mix a lot of the different colors and then kind of paint you unique. So the gift mix you have, no one else has. Maybe your gifting is, 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 is more upfront. You're more teaching leadership person. Maybe it's more behind the scenes, more wisdom, more giving. Uh, maybe the, your, your gifting is more compassion. You would have a gift of, of hospitality or mercy. If Jesus was to say, what is your gift, what would you write down? By the way, let me just say this real quick. Your spiritual gift and your natural inclinations, abilities, may not necessarily overlap. Uh, Several years ago, I read read an article from this CEO that went to Willow Creek, and he was a a godly exec guy, seven-figure-a-year guy. uh, But he was convinced. So, I mean, he was dealing with all the, the, the bigwigs. He was convinced, though, that his gifting, spiritual gifting, was the gift of helps. So he came to the church once a week, his chauffeur brought him once a week, to wash windows for a couple hours. It's big, high power, because this was the gifting that God had given him. This was his anointing. Do you know if Jesus was to say, what are, what's the gifts I've given you? Spiritual gifts, what would you be able to say? Um, R is, is, is relational. How are you relationally wired? Are you introvert? You're extrovert, you like working by yourself, you like working with teams, you're, you're more up front, you're more behind the scenes. How are you relationally wired? Because that's, again, that's not an accident. We often want to change. I wish it was more, more outgoing. I wish it was more quiet. But he has, he has wired us this way for a purpose. And it's not just so we can do life. It's so we can do his kingdom. So if he was to say, how did I, what do you have relationally? How have I wired you? What would you say? What would you write down? And then T, these are talents. These are uh, your acquired skills. These are maybe natural talents. Maybe you're just good at this. My, my, my father, I don't think, uh, my family's kind of quiet on this one, but I don't think my father ever graduated from high school. But my dad had an incredible math mind. He was, he, he just, it just came to him. He just knew this type of stuff. Uh, there are natural skills. Maybe these are acquired skills. Maybe you got there, but it's taken, you've had to earn your way there. Maybe it's an expertise in business that you have. Maybe it's just a hobby that you got, but you know what? You're doggone good at it. What are your talents? If Jesus was to say, hey, what do you have in your life? By the way, it's not an accident that you've got that. I engineered to make sure you'd get that. What do you have? What would you write down? 
So you might say, okay, okay, I, I'm telling and I've got a little bit better idea on what my five loaves, two fish are, I, but I'm not sure exactly how to give it to Jesus. I mean, it's kind of a big thing. Pull out of your, your bulletin, if you will, the uh, Serve Sunday brochure, uh, flyer, uh, cardstock. Let me just, just rush the, run through these real quick, because in just... A couple of months, six weeks, we've got a lot of ministries beginning. God's going to be bringing us people here. And, and uh, these are not the only opportunities to serve at First Alliance Church. Please know that. Please know that. But these are the ministries that have major openings right now. Uh, Mopettes. Can you be a Mopette? You think, da, 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 da. No, no, no. Mop ads. This is, what my, this is fascinating. I love this because the MOPS program is one of our biggest growth engines. It's one of our most successful evangelistic ministries in this church. And if you're not in the middle of it, you don't even know that. But the mothers of preschoolers, many, many of the gals who go to that don't go to our church. Many of them don't go to church anywhere. And so they come and they, they sit around tables with other gals. They've got Christian gals around the table. They're sharing, they're talking. Mothers of preschoolers, right? Let's put it all together. So their preschoolers are there. They go in the back room. Who watches them? The Moppets. Basically, they're watching the kids while their mom can, can sit around the table, while their mom can be influenced with godly others, while their mom can understand about Christ. And we truly need Moppets. Uh, to be able to uh, keep that going. Uh, worship ministry. Uh, maybe you sing, maybe you play an instrument, maybe nobody else here knows it, maybe you're good, maybe you're not so good, but you know what, Pastor Nathan will tell you if you sit down with him auditor- uh, audition-wise, but it's not just that. Maybe it's tech stuff. Maybe your experience as you look at that. Yeah, I can, I can do the, the tech stuff. I've done that kind of thing before. Maybe I can learn. Maybe I just want to learn. Um, that might, serving in the worship ministry might be a possibility. First impressions is, is I love this ministry because it's a, one of the fastest growing, exciting ministries. Because the cool thing about this one is you don't have to be prepping anything. But also, you, you might not even know exactly where you are right now spiritually. You've got stuff to work on. You know what? This is a great ministry because you're, we got all over the board. You can be making coffee. You can be greeting people as they come in. You can be ushering, handing out books. You can be working in the parking lot when we have the guys out there at the info desk. Um, this might be a place where you can say, God, with all of who I am and what I'm about, I think there's a possibility I might be able to serve there on occasion. Uh, maybe it's the food pantry, and I wish I could bring the letter. I got a letter this past week, even, of a gal who, um, she lost her job, and she wasn't sure what to do, and someone suggested she come to the food pantry, and she'd never done that kind of thing before, so it felt very awkward, but she came, and not only did she get groceries, but the people there ministered to her and began praying for her and working with her. And so she would come and they would ask her on a regular basis, how are you doing? You got your job yet? Well, anyway, she got, ended up getting a job. And when she did, she sent the letter along with a check saying, take care of that food pantry. Uh, they saved me in major ways when I was going through a very dark time. Maybe you can serve and help in the food pantry. Helping hands. A lot of folk who would want to be here this morning, they can't. They just physically, they just can't. And you know, it's got to get lonely just listening to church on the internet or the radio. Helping Hands takes that to them and in practical ways helps those folk. Uh, student ministry. If I could do something other than what I'm doing right here, I would either teach a junior high Sunday school class, paper, paper planes and all, or I would be a, a small group leader for a senior high group. I seriously 
believe, maybe just because my years in youth ministry, but that we need our best people here because those junior high to senior high years are just such a tumultuous time for our kids to walk through. We need godly leaders to walk through it with them. Upper room ministry, we do meals for, for homeless and for the disenfranchised. Perhaps you can be a part of that and do... Uh, to Jesus as you do to the least of these. Good Samaritan, I love this ministry. It's really an under-the-radar ministry. Right now, do you know that there is a doctor among us who's got his pager? Uh, there are some medical people who right now are ready that if you were to fall and break your leg on the way out of here or whatever else, they would be right there. Every time this church gets together in a large group, there are medical personnel trained waiting on the sides. Hopefully nothing happens, but if it does, they're ready. If you are a doctor, if you are a nurse, if you're an EMT, you need to think about getting your name in the rotation on this one. Uh, Health ministry, I like it. It's a new ministry, but our culture is incredibly excited about health stuff, aren't they? Lots of opportunity. What to do with this? Uh, Children's ministry takes so many volunteers. But the cool thing with children's ministry is you can do computer, you can do security, you can do teaching, you can do music, you can come on different times. Lots and lots. If you can't find anything anywhere else, they would find something for you. Incredible, incredible opportunities in children's ministry. And then hospitality ministry. Just so you know, I was talking with Dave Schneider. And I think he said that to date, this calendar year, we've had 16 or 17 funerals so far this year. Now, we haven't hosted them all, but many of them we have. And when we do, the hospitality team puts together a meal for, for the, uh, the grieving family. And this meal, if you've not been a part of it, is better than you're going to ever find in a restaurant. And if you watch the people serving... You, you can just see a closeness and excitement of what they're, they're doing. Maybe you could be a part of the hospitality uh, ministries. Well, when we do, when we take our, our, our gifts, we take our five loaves and two fish and we give them to Jesus, what can we expect to happen? John six fourteen. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. This is really cool. Because I think if they would have had the 200 denarii to buy the food, people would just say, well, thank you for sharing your, your food with us, your money with us. But because they had so little, it had to go through the hands of Jesus. What happened to the people? They saw Christ in a new way. They began to understand who he was. We think that we're just going to serve in the nursery and just kind of babysit the kids while maybe their parents can come in here and just make sure they don't kill themselves. No, that's not what we're doing. We, we, our goal is that that child somehow, in some way, and especially his mom and dad, maybe, when they leave that morning, you know what? They understand who Jesus is just a little bit better. The, the, the folk who are making, they're not just making coffee. They're not just handing out bulletins. They're not just decorating this place. Their goal is to create an environment so when people come in, they're more apt and able to understand leaving who Jesus is. The folk aren't just singing a song. I'm just going to play my instrument. We're going to uh, mix sound and do some slides. They're working together as a team so that us, we're in here, we might be able to see more of who Christ is and go, that's who Jesus is. That's what he's about. Every ministry. We're not just feeding people or handing out groceries. Our goal is the people we minister ultimately see Christ. That's what we're about. That's what he's called us to do. So let me ask you, what have you got? This is what Jesus asked the disciples. 
And here's a, maybe a harder question, follow-up question. Are you willing to give it to Christ? If you do, he's going to give back between relationship, between spiritual growth. You will see things that you didn't imagine. You will see God showing up. There will be changes that he makes in people's lives and minds that you know you were a part of. You're going, oh, God, this is nothing gets better than this. Thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me be a part of it. Can you imagine a church? I can't, it blows my mind. All the people understand how God's wired them and they're serving for the kingdom, not for any um, pure reasons, but they are serving his kingdom. Wow, wow, wow. I can't imagine such a place. May this place be that.